Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans and Lynn Kaufman. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. And Lynn Kaufman is Home Health and Hospice Director for Brookings Health System. Thank you to both of you for being here today. Thank Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Yes. I know hospice care is something that was always dear to our founder, Mm -hmm. Dr. Rick Holm. Yes. And I know that both of you care deeply about helping patients with hospice care. So I'd love to hear from both of you what made you interested in working with hospice care and why you feel this work is so important. Lynn, would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I've been working with hospice patients since its um, hospice started in Brookings, which was 1995. Um, And I just am always appreciative of the um, connection that you're able to make with families when you're working with them at the end of life, um, because it's not an easy thing, but it's important work, and um, you get a a special bond, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that you t- said that about Dr. Holm. He, this hospice and home hospice was very dear to him. I think it was the last clinical thing that he held on to after his retirement. You know, he stopped doing clinic and kept doing the nursing home for a while. Then he stopped doing the nursing home. And, you know, the last thing that he gave up really was um, medical director of our, our home health and hospice program because it was really important to him and um, in his activities. I would agree. I think um, hospice and the end of life is such a unique place to help care for patients and their loved ones at the same time that while, you know, it's it's not necessarily glamorous, it's really important. And I think um, patients are extremely appreciative when they get good hospice care, as are their families, um, to try and make what is often a very difficult time as positive and um, meaningful for those people as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, it's, it is important work and Lynn and her team do a great job. And um, I think what something that people don't know is what, what types of expertise go into hospice care, hospice care. So um, I'm the medical director now that Rick asked me to take that over when, when he was on his um, way out of his clinical duties. Um, but every week we meet typically in a room together now, that was not true for a while, um, with the nurses, um, a pharmacist who's an expert on, you know, the pharmacology of the drugs that we use to help control symptoms, a dietitian, um, who am I missing, Lynn? Social worker. Social worker. Chaplain. Yeah, chaplain. Case really to, to be looking at the whole patient and the whole situation and try and um, make that situation as, as good as we can for people. When a um, patient is receiving hospice care, do they interact with that whole team as well? Or I suppose it 
Depends. It varies mm -hmm. um, with each patient, but each patient will get um, nursing visits, uh, social worker and chaplain visits. Um, they probably aren't going to see the pharmacist, but we're working with them in the background. Right. The nurses are contacting them and their physicians. Um, and then the other pieces of the hospice um, staff would be aides to help with personal care and bathing. We've got hospice volunteers that can go out um, to spend time with patients as well. So it, it really is a team approach mm -hmm. um, to provide the best care that we can in supporting that patient and their family. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, we're going to go to our first break shortly, which will give our listeners an opportunity to call in with whatever questions you might have regarding hospice care and home health care. So uh, please do take a moment to give us a call now so we'll have time to answer those this next half hour. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. And if you want to get entered into our monthly summer drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books, you can give us your name and phone number and we'll enter you into that drawing. Again, that number is 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Tobacco can lead to tobacco, nicotine dependence, and serious health problems. Quitting smoking has immediate as well as long-term benefits for you and your loved ones. Make the decision to be smoke-free. Stopping smoking is associated with many health benefits. If you smoke, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 784-8669. Or call the Avera Medical Group Brookings for help to quit smoking today. 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans and Home Health and Hospice Director Lynn Kaufman are here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. So before our first break, we got to hear a little bit about why hospice care is important and, and the work that happens to make all the pe the team to make that happen. Let's just take a step back. Lynn, could you define for us what is hospice care? What are we talking about? Okay, so hospice care is really a philosophy of care designed to um, maximize comfort and provide quality of life for patients when they're at end of life. Um, to qualify for hospice, a physician has to say that the patient probably has a six month or less life expectancy if the disease runs its normal course. So um, those are the qualifications. I guess as far as the patient goes, what they need to be um, ready for is to look at comfort focused care rather than curative focused care. So they're not doing active treatments at that point, but looking at what can, um, how can they best spend the time that they have left. Mm -hmm. And I would just chime in from from the physician's perspective. Um, you're right. That's that's we kind of have to say we would expect a life expectancy to be six months or less. In reality, that's a guessing game, right? I mean, right. we can't predict that right. in a lot of patients. And so so there are some situations, and I, this is probably especially true, is when people have sort of a chronic disease that is at its end stage, something like 
COPD or heart failure, it's hard to predict what the future might hold for patients like that. And so sometimes patients end up getting hospice care for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. Um, dementia is another good example of, of a diagnosis that's very hard to predict how, how that course will go. Um, occasionally, we might admit patients to hospice when it looks like they're declining with a chronic disease, and then they kind of get better and they come off of hospice. So it's, it's an, there's not a perfect science behind that. It's just, you know, if, if your best judgment and the patient is ready for that philosophy of care, as, as Lynn described. So, what does hospice care look like here in Brookings? If you decide that's the best option for for an individual or their family Mm -hmm. member, what does that mean? They're going to be receiving. What's that look like? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think it's important to point out that hospice care can take place wherever home is for the patient. So, um, we have a variety of settings that we provide the care in. the most common one, I guess, would be in the patient's home, but we can also provide care in a family member's home or a facility like a nursing home or an assisted living facility. Um, So when we get a new hospice referral, we're going to meet with the patient and the family. Um, We're going to set up um, services, and at that, what that means really is a nurse is going to come out and do an assessment with them to help determine what their needs are. Um, We'll set up the uh, nursing visits, social worker and chaplain visits, aid services if they need personal care assistance, those types of things. But we also will set up things like equipment, um, which may include um, walkers, wheelchairs, hospital beds, oxygen concentrators, that type of thing, um, just based on what that patient needs. So we, we meet the patient where they're at. It might be when we start services that they don't need a lot from us, um, that we'll just be having the nurse go a couple times a week to um, touch base, make sure that they're doing okay. But we're really focusing on symptoms and what we can do to make them as comfortable as possible. So um, flexibility in the frequency of the visits is um, key for hospice care. Usually when we um, are getting patients on service early in their disease, they're not going to get as frequent of visits, but towards the end, those will ramp up and it can look completely different from one week to the next as far as um, what we provide to them. Always um, it's individualized to the patient and the family's needs and so if there's a patient that wants to be out golfing every day um, we'll schedule our visits around that Um, you know it's important to us that they do the things that they want to do to maintain their quality of life and um, do the things that um, are most important to them and their family I love that example you just gave. I don't picture a hospice patient out golfing. Mm-hmm. But um, if a patient maybe has a terminal diagnosis, um, we, you, we have an opportunity to get them involved, get hospice care involved very early mm-hmm. to help with that process. Yeah, and I think, you know, from our perspective, the, the earlier a patient knows that they're on a track like that, the better we can do for those patients to, again, maximize quality of life while they have fewer symptoms. Mm-hmm. And and our nurses are able to really establish a great relationship with them and their family so that, you know, when, when things get a little bit harder, you know, it's a little easier on everyone when the expert in the room, the, okay. who is the nurse, the, the nurses really run the show when it comes to home hospice. Um, for them to have a, a strong relationship with that family um, can really 
make that experience go smoother, I think. Mm-hmm. I was re- recently talking with a friend who mentioned that after they called hospice, their dad only lived about another six hours. Mm-hmm. And that um, she, she mentioned how it seemed common for people to just wait too long. And they wish they would have called a lot earlier. Uh, is that common that people perhaps wait what might be defined as too long um, in that process that you wish people would call earlier? I think that's very common. Okay. Um, you know, if we think about what we can provide for care for people, the longer we're able to see them, the more we're able to provide. Plus, the more um, they're able to get out of that hospice benefit that is covered by their Medicare or their insurance. And so um, we often run into people, you know, they'll call us with questions about hospice, but then they'll say, we're not quite ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time then they are ready, things are in crisis mode, mm-hmm. and it's harder to um, for them to benefit from as much as we can provide for them. So um, I, I usually encourage people to get on the service sooner rather than later. Um, we can tailor the care to whatever they're open to. So if it means just the nurse coming once a week, mm-hmm. um, that's what we'll do for them. So, um, But it does, um, as Dr. Evans said, it makes it easier for us to um, get that relationship built up if we're seeing them when things are going fairly well rather than being in a crisis or um, things not, not really looking good. So. Mm-hmm. What can we do to encourage people to explore the option of hospice earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think it, part of that falls on us as physicians and providers to present that as an option to patients in the appropriate situations. Um, so, you know, that's a lot for to expect a patient to know to come to mm-hmm. their own physician with that. But I would also say, you know, if you or your family member or loved one is in a situation where you're facing a really a, a challenging medical um, diagnosis, you know, ask about it. You know, I, I don't think it's ever too early to ask about it. it. Like if you're getting treated for cancer or if you're someone who might maybe is in and out of the hospital with a chronic disease a lot, um, bring it up just so you know what the option is and you can make that decision for yourself or for your for your loved one when the time is right. I think knowledge is really power when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. But part of it, you know, we we try to um, you know, spread knowledge amongst physicians and providers too because we really need those people, the primary care provider, the oncologist, the the specialist who's managing a difficult chronic disease to be advocates for patients in that setting as well. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, sometimes perhaps home health is an option. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between home health and hospice care? So home health can be provided for any um, patient who needs, who has a skilled need for care. Mm-hmm. That could be a nurse to come and do a dressing change. It could be a therapist to come and help with rehab after hip or knee replacement surgery. So the the goal with home health care is usually to graduate off and not need home mm-hmm. health anymore. Okay. So it's a short-term thing. Um, usually with our agency anyway, the care averages about five to six weeks. Um, And so you might be getting a nurse and a therapist to come and see you a couple times a week until you're able to go in for outpatient therapy visits or um, you no longer need that nursing visit. So um, 
the focus is different. It's more on rehab versus um, comfort and supportive care. But some of our hospice patients will start out on home health Mm -hmm. um, before they're really ready for hospice. They'll get some nursing visits. Um, the, The one thing about home health is that Medicare requires those patients to be homebound which means they don't get out of the house without a lot of effort. So um, it doesn't mean they can't leave the home at all, but it needs to be a taxing effort. So that sometimes will, um, people will um, go off from home health because they're no longer homebound. We don't have that requirement under hospice. With hospice, we want people to get out as much as they're able. So um, it's nice to know that they can do those things um, without reservation. So, mm-hmm. um, but like I said, some people will start out with home health and then eventually transition to hospice when the time is right. So I think with our agency, um, we are, it's nice because we have continuity of care for staffing. We have the um, same staff who see home health patients as see hospice patients. So mm-hmm. that transition of care probably goes a little bit smoother because their um, patients would and families would be familiar with the staff that provide the care under both programs. Yeah, I can see that'd be very helpful. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, we need to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. And get your name entered into our summer monthly drawings for one of Dr. Holmes' books. 605-692-1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Everyone should have smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors in their homes. Carbon monoxide is an odorless, colorless gas that can cause sudden illness and death. Take a few minutes to ensure your alarms are in good working order. Replace the battery at least once a year. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans and Home Health and Hospice Director Lynn Kaufman are here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. What are some of the things we should do when we are healthy and well to indicate our healthcare wishes to our families and healthcare providers? Great question. Um, I, I talk with my patients about things like this frequently. Um, and my message is always the very most important thing you can do is have a conversation with your family members or whoever your, your, your people are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what we worry about is if a patient gets into a situation in which they are, for example, critically ill, not able to make their own medical wishes known, and there's disagreement among family members or no one's really sure what what that what that person would decide. Mm-hmm. If you've had a conversation um, amongst your family, that takes a lot of that can take a lot of that uncertainty away. Now, to be more crystal clear, you can do things like an advanced directive or a living will. Um, and we're always happy to have people or help people with those types of things. And, and those can even be scanned into your medical chart so that, you know, an emergency room might be able to access it in an in a emergency situation. Um, we talk about 
medical durable powers of attorney, which is an MDPOA. So often when I bring up in clinic power of attorney, people think that we're talking about financial matters. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely has can be a totally separate thing from what we talk about in the medical setting. All this means is you might fill out a document saying, if I'm not able to make my medical decisions, this is who I want to make the medical decision. Mm-hmm. And now legally, each state's a little different. If there is no medical power of attorney document, there's defaults. Mm-hmm. In South Dakota, that would default first to a spouse, next to adult children, mm-hmm. and so on. And there's sort of this hierarchy. But for example, if it's if it's adult children, it would f- default to all the adult children, okay. not just one. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the patient, maybe it makes sense to fill out a medical power of attorney if that default is not what you think would be best. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are want to designate just one of your children who knows you best. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would like to designate a friend who's not related to you and would not have any rights to make your medical decisions without that document being in place. So I think everyone's unique. Those documents are helpful. Actually just thinking about it and conversing about it is really the first and most important step, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'm shocked at how many of my patients even in in later stages of life have not ever had that conversation and so i think initiating that is really important mm-hmm. what does it look like when people do take these steps like what what have you seen working with families that maybe mom or dad have laid out here's my wishes what what is that process like for families and how is that different if patients do that yeah, I mean, I think some of this happens behind closed doors, and so mm-hmm. I might not be witness to that. I mean, mm-hmm. this might be a Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner conversation or something like that. Um, and I think, it, you know, every family is different and has mm-hmm. unique dynamics. Um, I think what we have all in healthcare witnessed is the, the big downside of not having those things happen, which is, you know, a patient, you know, on life support like a ventilator and three adult children who disagree on what should happen for next steps. And that's really painful for everybody, Mm -hmm. um, for everyone involved, medical team, Mm -hmm. family, patient, of course. Um, So those are the things that I think could be avoided if it was just clear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not that one decision is the right or the wrong decision. I would want life supportive measures. I wouldn't want life supportive measures in in X or Y situation, but just that it's clear to everybody Mm -hmm. what the person would want when they can't voice their own wishes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andrew's grandpa, when he passed away, uh, they always do a lot of things really well, his grandparents. They are very thoughtful, um, and they had made decisions, talked about decisions, talked about what was important to them, and communicated it to all of us, so everyone Mm -hmm. knew what was what to expect that they would want. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, grandpa um, passed away peacefully mm-hmm. at home in his bed, receiving hospice care, mm-hmm. surrounded by loved ones. Someone came over and played cello music for him. You know, I'm just like, this is a beautiful gift that they gave themselves, but also all of us right. to um, have that type mm-hmm. of an experience, you know? Yeah. Because like you said, you witnessed some other experiences where this can be full of kind of conflict and, yeah. um hard decisions and tough feelings yeah. so and along yeah with it's that, all hard no matter what right but yeah along with that can go guilt for fa- with guilt for family right. members who aren't sure if they made the right decision on behalf of their loved one or right you're right conflict amongst family members which all of that's really painful and in some situations at least might be avoided mm-hmm. by yeah. doing some of these things so so yeah great advice talk about it early have conversations yeah Thanks, dr evans um 
Lynn, you mentioned briefly earlier, can you talk more about that? How is hospice care paid for? I know a lot of us, when we're making our healthcare decisions, it's like, well, how much is that going to cost? What, what is covered, what's not? How, what's typical for hospice care? So um, Medicare has a hospice benefit and most insurance companies mirror what Medicare does. Um, but basically, if it's a Medicare patient, they sign on to the Medicare hospice benefit. And what that means is for the end of life diagnosis, so whether that's cancer or chronic lung disease, whatever it is, anything related to that diagnosis is taken care of by the hospice agency. So they keep their traditional Medicare for other things. If that patient would fall and break their wrist, need to have a cast put on, they could still go to the clinic or the emergency room to have that taken care of the same way it is now. It'd be paid for the same way it is now. But the other things that fall under the hospice umbrella are funneled through the hospice agency. So Medicare or insurance pays the hospice agency to take care of those needs. So that covers the nursing and the staff visits, it covers the equipment that's supplied, and it covers the medications that are related to that diagnosis. So basically Medicare pays us a daily rate to take care of those things for patients. So um, the patient would get an explanation of benefits from Medicare telling them how many days of service had been provided by the hospice agency, and then Medicare would pay the agency directly. So it's, it's really, like having an extra insurance policy under Medicare that covers those um, comfort-focused things. Um, and so it's a good benefit under Medicare and insurance um, and really underutilized, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Drinking and driving is a threat to everyone. Did you know that every day about 30 people in the United States die in a motor vehicle crash that has involved an alcohol-impaired driver? This amounts to one death every 51 minutes. Driving drunk is never okay. Choose not to drink and drive and help others to do the same. And remember to buckle your seatbelt every time you are in the car. The Avera Medical Group Brookings is concerned about your health and safety. Please call 697-9500 if you have health concerns. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc Physician Kelly Evans and Home Health and Hospice Director Lynn Kaufman are here answering our medical questions. We have just a couple minutes left and Dr. Evans, we had a question actually coming a couple weeks ago when we didn't have a physician in, but we had some other guests in the studio. And so I said I'd follow up today. The question was... um, Are there certain foods to avoid when you have asthma or general activity to avoid an asthma attack? Mm. What do you have to say about asthma? I I would say that that's very individualized when it comes to asthma, not, not one size fits all. Foods to avoid, not across the board. Certainly, if you have food allergies, you you would want to avoid those things. But not all people with asthma have allergies. And allergies can be common with asthma, but more so on the spectrum of environmental allergies, things like hay fever and stuff like that. So in the absence of other food intolerances, I wouldn't say you have to have 
across the board food avoidances with asthma as a diagnosis. Um, and then, oh, activities to avoid. I would say that, again, individualized. There are some people who just have exercise-induced asthma symptoms, and so those people maybe need to use their albuterol inhaler before they go out and be active. Um, some people might have reactivity to the cold air and stuff like that, but everyone's a little different. You need to know your own triggers so that you can avoid or mitigate them. Okay, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. All right. Well, we have just a few minutes left here before we wrap up. I did want to read. We got a comment that came in saying, very, very informative. He wishes he heard this presentation a year ago when his wife was going through this. So hopefully our discussion today, people do find helpful and Mm -hmm. um, all that. But thank you very much for that comment and taking the time to call in with that. As we wrap up, uh, Dr. Evans, anything you'd like to add about hospice that we haven't had a chance or want to emphasize? Yeah, I, I don't know. No additions. I would just say, you know, don't be afraid to ask the question. Um, if you if you wonder about what hospice care is like, you deserve to at least be educated about. It. There are times that we actually send Lynn or one of our nurses out to the home to present an, the option of hospice and answer all of a family's questions, and then they choose not quite yet. So we can get you as much information as you need to make a good decision for yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lynn, anything you'd like to add today? Um, I would just like to say, usually when we get um, contacts wanting information about hospice, um, people are reluctant to talk to us, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're a little concerned that we're going to really focus on death all the time. And I'd like to just make the point that we meet the patients where they're at on what they want to talk about. Um, One thing that I've noticed is with hospice patients, um, we're looking at hope a little bit more than some people might think. In the you know when people have a disease, they're looking for hope for cure. But once they get past that that hope, maybe they're just hoping now that they can make it to their granddaughter's wedding. And so, how can we help them to make that um, goal um, come to life? So, um, just you know, let us be a little extra support for you and what um, what you'd like to accomplish. Mm-hmm great information. I really appreciate both of you being here. Lynn, Kelly, thank you for being here this morning and talking about this very important topic. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week, on Thursday, August 25th, we will have an encore episode of Preventing and Treating Infectious Diseases. Prairie Doc host Kelly Evans-Hollinger is joined by Dr. Jennifer Sue of Sanford Infectious Disease and Travel Medicine Clinic. They answer viewer questions regarding infectious diseases such as sepsis, influenza, shingles, and more. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB Television to learn more. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. And please do be sure to tune in next week. We'll be kicking off our new season of Prairie Doc programs. They'll start next week, and Dr. Kelly Evans will be here with us to um, talk about all of that next week. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans and Lynn Kaufman for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.